Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to PolicyCast on iTunes, Stitcher, and elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org or follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast. Now, today's subject is especially interesting to me because it's about a place where I lived for a couple years as a child. Of course, Hong Kong was quite different then. At the time, it was still a British colony preparing for an imminent handover to the Chinese government. When that shift of power took place in 1997, it was agreed that Hong Kong would not be governed as just another Chinese city, but have some measure of autonomy. That was 17 years ago, and now the extent to which Beijing will allow Hong Kong citizens the right to self-govern is under question. Today we're joined by Kennedy School professor Tony Sage, the director of the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation, whose work has focused on democratic governance and transitional economies in China. Professor, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for the invitation. So the protests we've seen on the news for the last several weeks, they share a lot in common with the Occupy Wall Street movement. In fact, it was the movement was originally called Occupy Central, which is an area in Hong Kong. Um, there seems to be one key difference. The Occupy Wall Street movement um, had a broad set of, uh, of goals and ideals. Um, this movement has one very specific uh, goal that they're trying to accomplish. Can you explain what it is they're trying to achieve and you know what it means in the greater context of uh, Hong Kong's political situation? Yes, I think what has set off the demonstrations, as we know, was uh, the decision by Beijing that the candidates uh, who would be put forward in 2017 for chief executive would not be chosen by civic participation, but would be chosen by a smaller selectorate. And obviously the fear was that the two or three specific candidates that would be put forward would represent a very pro-Beijing uh, perspective. And that was interpreted mainly by a younger generation, but also many others, but particularly the students, as being a setback towards the advance to democracy and forced suffrage in Hong Kong. So that was really the spark that set off this recent round of developments. But it has built on, as you said, both the Occupy Central movement, um, although it's really more Occupy Admiralty, which is another part uh, of Hong Kong mm -hmm. where the main government buildings are. And I think it really was a catalyst for a simmering unease among certain sections of the Hong Kong population about the increasing encroachment of Beijing to interfere in the uh, affairs of Hong Kong. And the Beijing government <clears throat> made it very clear in their statement that autonomy was what Beijing said autonomy would be, and that uh, that would be decisive. It seems like uh, the, the chief executive position is similar to what the governor would have been under the British colony. I, I saw that you uh, cited a statistic, the poll that was done of Hong Kongers, um, that 90% of them said if they could take the British back as rulers, they would. Uh, that seems interesting because there doesn't seem to be kind of a history of democratic governance there, um, yet that seems to be what they're, what they're going for. Well, I think everybody tends to have fond memories of the past. And I think many of the demonstrators who may have participated in that poll will have had really no experience of British rule. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't take it with a pinch of salt. I think I would take it as a more a reflection of dissatisfaction with Beijing than really a genuine desire that they would want British colonial rule back. 
Mm-hmm. And in fact, as you suggested, uh, the British government, while it was still directly ruling Hong Kong, um, it did put in place many of the attributes of a democracy with a free press, with a robust rule of law and a system of judges that would challenge uh, government decisions, but it never did move to the question of a genuinely open suffrage uh, Mm -hmm. for the elections. And that is something that it did then struggle uh, to put into um, the base, well, the joint declaration, which was signed between the UK uh, government and the Chinese authorities. So um, what the people now are pushing for is something certainly the British never accorded to them. And it is more expansive than what is on offer at the moment, but of course it doesn't fulfill uh, their wish to have uh, complete access to being able to decide who will participate, not just voting on who someone else has decided will participate mm-hmm. in the uh, election for the chief executive. Is this uh, strictly about representation in, in these elections, or are there specific issues, policy issues, that um, they're seeing that they want want changed? It's unclear at the moment. I don't really see that there's questions around policies per se. Um, there have been some differences between people proposed for chief executives, but the bandwidth has been very narrow. And I think even if um, someone from the pro-democracy camp were to be put forward um, uh, in the election for chief, chief executive, it's inconceivable that that person would want to take on Beijing. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that is now accepted as the reality. Uh, in terms of policy, well, maybe a pro-democracy candidate might think more about the Occupy Wall Street issues of the inequalities within Hong Kong, the way... Uh, that Hong Kong tycoons have benefited extraordinarily well from the relationship with China mm-hmm. and that there are issues in terms of uh, access to um, important means of communication uh, that are controlled by the disparities of wealth in Hong Kong. That, I think, is something which is maybe beginning to emerge in the discussions now. And I've looked at a couple of commentaries and other things in Hong Kong in the last couple of days saying you know, you're not going to change Beijing. Why don't you focus on politics within Hong Kong? Mm -hmm. And maybe we should focus on challenging the control that the wealthy in Hong Kong exert over the colony, or former colony, Mm -hmm. rather. 10,000 people among 7 million is actually quite a small number. Um, How is the rest of the the city actually taking this this protest movement? Well, I think it's a very mixed reaction, as you would expect. Uh, Some people are frustrated. Uh, They can't get to work. They can't do their shopping. I heard from a friend in Hong Kong. He said, you know, you really won't believe it. No one is shopping in Hong Kong, (laughs) which is very unusual for Hong Kong. I think the fact that it occurred over or part of the peak occurred over the holiday period in Hong Kong uh, probably meant that there was less uh, frustration than there might have been otherwise with getting to work, getting on with uh, daily affairs and so forth. I think the initial uh, brutal response of the Hong Kong police probably swayed more citizens towards uh, at least passive, if not active, support for the uh, demonstrators. And we certainly saw that the numbers swelled at that particular point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Hong Kong is a very pragmatic place. And um, I do think, though, there will be a lasting impact 
but as we've seen, as the holidays have uh, ended, the numbers have declined. Although I think, depending on how the negotiations go later this week, I think there may well be a long-term presence there, but a smaller presence, just to keep, uh, if you like, a warning that we're watching what you're going to do. We really hope that something more positive will come out of the discussions. And I suppose the next step uh, in terms of thinking about what is happening in Hong Kong is what will come out of those discussions, which are now set up between the Hong Kong authorities mm -hmm. and the protesters. If nothing at all comes out of that and this frustration, you may see some of the younger people and students coming back into uh, that that area around Admiralty Central to mm -hmm. to uh, carry on the uh, demonstrations. Right. So many of those protesters have, as you say, uh, cleared out thanks to uh, an agreement of negotiations with, I believe it's uh, the chief executive's deputy. Yeah. What can these protesters expect uh, to be accomplished? Well, they certainly cannot expect to get Beijing to rescind its decision. I mean, essentially, Beijing has said, we trust the chief executive, whether that's really true or not, that's a different issue. Mm -hmm. And it's up to the Hong Kong authorities to resolve this. So given that the decision that set this off was made in Beijing, that's not within the realm of the Hong Kong authorities to make a decision on that or to rescind that. So the students aren't going to get that. What might they hope for? Well, perhaps they might hope for some discussion around who would form the selectorate and is there any flexibility in terms of getting someone uh, put forward as a candidate who might represent some of the more liberal or pro-democracy views in Hong Kong, but at the same time is not going to push for um, greater autonomy, more independence uh, from Beijing. That's probably pretty much all they can hope for. Mm -hmm. And it's debatable whether that will be enough. Now, you mentioned before the initial brutal response by the police to the protests. Uh, I think one of the early fears by many was that this was going to be another Tiananmen Square, where there was going to be a brutal crackdown mm. and uh, you know a clearing of clearing of the protest areas. Uh, that didn't end up happening. Is that a sign of Beijing kind of maturing to uh, in response to these kinds of things? Um, I think if this had happened in a city in the mainland, you might have seen a very different outcome. Mm -hmm. But because it's in Hong Kong. Uh, which is a much more open society, um, where it's easier to focus international attention. I think that you know, contributed to a different outcome. And even though uh, the chief executive, Mr. Leung, had uh, said quite clearly, you know, uh, offices would be opened as from the Monday, it wasn't clear whether hanging behind that there was a threat that the police might then use force to clear them. But clearly they didn't. I think mm -hmm. they decided uh, that that was not going to be effective. The police seemed to, with the one exception of when the pro-Beijing uh, people uh, used violence against the demonstrators, they seemed to have policed it now quite effectively, kept control, uh, but kept it peaceful. And um, seemed as a result in the last few days to manage things reasonably well. I suppose the next challenge might come if there were another upsurge in demonstrations, how would they respond then? But I don't think Beijing ever had the intention or desire 
to either have its own people's armed police move in or, as some people suggested, the People's Liberation Army, which, of course, has a barracks in Hong Kong mm -hmm. to come out on the streets. I, that seemed to me most unlikely, unless things had really fallen apart and there was already extreme violence on the streets, which was never really going to be the case. Mm -hmm. Now, how's the reaction to all of this been outside of Hong Kong and mainland China? Obviously, um, the Chinese government has been heavily uh, uh, censoring the information that's been coming out, but, you know, it information still gets through. Well, I think there's a mix of responses from the little I've been able to see. As you, as you said, the message has been controlled. It's been shaped very carefully. The mainstream media, which is controlled by the Communist Party in China, has, you know, talked about the normal things it talks about in these cases, uh, small number of troublemakers, foreign interference, people acting illegally, mm -hmm. trying to put forward the idea, well, there's rule of law in Hong Kong, these demonstrators have been unruly, they've broken that rule of law to create the impression that this is a small uh, movement and that it's a destructive movement. Um, as a result, I would imagine many people in China, because this is not particularly important to them, have probably taken up that view. Um, people, of course, in China can find a way around the Great Firewall. I mean, I think um, from a few people I've heard back from in China, you know, they have bought into what the Communist Party has said, and they felt that... Uh, you know, Beijing has contributed a lot to the wealth and stability in Hong Kong. Why are they trying to disrupt it? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, one or two messages seem to seep through as people have begun to understand what the demonstrations were really about that perhaps has been a little more sympathetic. But I, you know, that's very much uh, anecdotal impressions. And I would imagine that is a very small group. Well, Professor Tony Sage, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Well, thank you for the invitation once again. Thank you. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast, produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast.